Welcome to Dangerously Likely. I'm Caleb. And I'm Terrell. And today we're Dangerously Likely to talk about a democratic revolt. Let's go above the fold with this week's headlines. So recently we learned that an Israeli firm has been providing governments access to military grade spyware. The purpose of this spyware was to track terrorists and criminals down. And whether you think that's a good or bad idea, it has been found in the smartphones used by journalists, human rights activists, business executives, politicians, and even some world leaders like the South African president and even the French president. The Israeli firm has stated that its software is not supposed to be used on law-abiding citizens and that it's not all about surveillance. Additionally, the list of 50,000 phone numbers that the journalist group Pegasus found tied to the software is not an accurate list, says the firm. Terrell, to me, this story seems to continue one of the most alarming problems of our time, and that's really just cyber warfare and cyber attacks and mm-hmm. anything that's cyber, it feels like. <laughs> <laughs> um I do want to. I do want to like make it clear though that I don't think this has been labeled as like cyber cyber warfare or anything. It's just no. it's just surveillance. Yeah, kind it's of just surveillance type, stuff. type level. Yeah, stuff. Um, but I do want to kind of just reiterate all the ransomware attacks, the big mm-hmm. structural hacks that we've seen, and even some of the surveillance stuff that we've seen just in like the past year. Yeah. Um, you know. I'm not sure. I really have a question for you here, but it just seems like this is in the news like every other week instead of like once a year. I agree. And I feel like it's been, even though it's in the news, it's very, I don't want to say covert, but it doesn't seem like it's the dominating story, right? Mm -hmm. We had an entire oil pipeline hacked. And Mm -hmm. as important as that was, I just don't feel like it carried the news cycle. It was a Oh, yeah, the oil pipeline's still shut down and the Biden administration's working on um, responding to ransoms and all of those things. Like, this is a major issue and concern for our time. And I I appreciated a tick, not a TikToker, shock, um, a, a person on Twitter who mentioned that for something of this level to be happening, It is either the biggest oversight by the former prime minister, Benjamin Netanyahu, in history, or he was very complacent with what was going on. So um, I'm interested to see what this might produce. Yeah, I don't know. Like, it's like every I don't think this lives up to like maybe what the solar winds hack or whatnot was. But well, maybe it does. I don't know. In in its own way, because it's a little bit different. The two are just different things. But it seems like every like big hack thing that we do hear about, you're right. I don't think it drives the news, but every like expert on it's like, this is the biggest and worst hack yeah. we've ever had. And it's only going to get worse. And look where we are. Yeah. And <laughs> it feels like, it feels like climate change, climate change in this don't drive the news like it should. I feel mm-hmm. like. And I think too, something that gets lost from the story is this is a clear and direct attack on the freedom of the press. Um, yeah. While we might not be hearing about a journalist being murdered or um, any form of violence towards them, the fact that their sources are being compromised, the fact that their own identity is being compromised is a huge attack on 
this entity that is critical to a functioning democracy and um, just any society moving forward. Without these individuals, we wouldn't know stories like the one we're talking about right now. Mm-hmm. And I, I do think that's another piece that is being left out of the narrative of, yes, this is a really bad attack, but these are also the repercussions of multiple years of an attack on the press mm-hmm. from what's supposed to be the, the um, shining city on the hill when it comes to democracy and freedoms. Um, and it's very concerning that they were able to get ingrained in so many different organizations. So I definitely hope that we have some better conversations around that, I guess is the best way to word it. I hope it drives the news more, like more people should know what's happening. And the reality is, is that if you're on the internet, you're just not really safe from anything. And that's pretty scary to think about. Yeah. And that is why I don't auto save anything. Oops. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But as I say on CNN, now on to our world lead. Ah, the world lead. Um, Ironically, as the United States continues to fail in reforming policing, Columbia announces a series of reforms to improve accountability and decrease human rights abuses, per the Associated Press. President Dukey outlines the creation of a human rights department that will report to the nation's police chief. Additionally, um, officers will be required to take human rights courses They are also looking at neighborhood patrolling officers, um, upwards of 11,000, to wear body cams, and even something as simple as a shift in the uniforms that they're wearing from a dark green that more so resembles the military to a navy blue that is supposed to signify community. That's interesting. Um, I didn't know that that color was associated with that. I didn't either until I um, was reading about this and really kind of made sense. It does, Especially it when you think sense. about different military branches In and the green mm-hmm. switching. Yeah, that, that, that does make sense. I just wouldn't have thought about it. Right. Um, also, following catastrophic flooding through the northwestern part of Europe, German interior minister... Um, is estimating that repairs could run in the billions of euros. Um, From Reuters, this serves as an early warning for leaders of the impact climate change will have on nations globally. Um, The European Union has launched an ambitious plan to reduce greenhouse emissions as they really start tackling the um, just continuing flooding and overall um, impact of climate change on their uh, member nations. Yeah, especially with the. Uh, I'm just going to jump in here real quick. That you're the climate guy. Oh my gosh, the the bootleg fire in Oregon is insane. It's creating its own weather. It's like forming that. lightning and stuff on its own and creating different wind patterns and stuff. I don't know. Like climate change, really. Like it's. It's been happening, don't get me wrong, but I feel like over the last like couple of weeks, it's really smacked us all in the face. And I would say that the European Union um, launching an ambitious plan is probably the least they can do. Yeah, 100%. I mean, this is serious shit. We got to get it together. Got to do something. And we'll be right back. And we're back. 
So if you've been listening to the news cycle lately, it's been pretty much everything we've already talked about. We have Schumer being Schumer, questions about bipartisanship, the just continual struggles of our immigration system. Um, Recently, a court um, put an injunction in for DACA recipients to apply or new new DACA recipients to apply. It's a lot of the things we've already talked about. So I wanted to try something different if you're game. I'm game. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I I want to indulge you on a thought experiment. Okay. So let's start with this. Like, I mean, I just called out Schumer and obviously that is something that most of our listeners probably know how I feel, but Here's just an interesting thing to consider. So right now, um, Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer is preparing to hold a major vote on the bipartisan infrastructure bill without the infrastructure bill being done. And with uh, a lot of individuals from the group sharing that they don't feel comfortable with this arbitrary timescale that the majority leaders put on there. So let's say he holds the vote this week. Yeah, it's supposed to fail, isn't it? Yeah. We'll see. Uh, at least that's what all the news outlets. Are if the Republicans in. hold, it does. And in this thought experiment, the the Republicans do. They all vote no. But interestingly, a few Democrats also vote alongside the GOP out of annoyance with Chuck Schumer, frustration that he put in this timeline when they were making real progress. Um, news channels run 24-7 coverage about the embarrassment, and the White House even starts signaling a little annoyance with Um, Schumer's inability to get the deal done or to be a part of negotiations or to understand and have a real pulse on where the caucus is. Um, They even give some shout outs to non-leadership members as they were leading the charge when it came to this. We're going through the caucus doesn't meet until Monday at the earliest. Um, For those listening, both the Democratic caucus and the Republican caucus always hold a caucus meeting just to kind of update on where the Senate chamber is um, to get an understanding of how voting's going and to kind of get some direction from leadership. Where is this going, Terrell? Just keep listening. (laughs) Um, And when we get to the Sunday morning talk shows, you just get an air that something's afoot. You, You feel like there are conversations happening behind closed doors. So, we're all probably chilling in our offices, enjoying our day. And we get a breaking news alert um, on Monday during the democratic caucus that the Democrats are in revolt. They are actually holding a formal vote to remove Chuck Schumer as majority leader um, and instate someone new. So my question to start is what's the reaction from Uh, people like us who are following politics, who are interested in politics and understand that one, this has never happened before. Two, the closest we've ever come to this is Newt Gingrich when he was speaker and he had the courtesy of being able to step down. So not only did the Democrats orchestrate a coup, but they did it so effectively that it did blindside who was supposed to be the party leader. Um, And three, 
does this create a power vortex because who then fills the void? So I also want to ask not only what is your reaction or how do people respond to this kind of news, but who do you think steps into the role or who do you think gets uh, first past the post and gets the votes? <laughs> okay. It's a lot of questions, but I'm, I'm intrigued. <laughs> uh, first, this is an interesting thought experiment question. I actually, even if this, even if though this is the scenario, I don't think this is how it would actually go. 100%. Um, I think what would actually happen is if the scenario held true, there would not be a formal vote. Chuck Schumer would just resign after we got some weird cryptic, but uh, maybe revealing, dare I say, um, political news stories probably yeah. <laughs> about it. And it probably wouldn't happen as soon as next Monday. It would probably be over the course of the next month or something. But um, I think our reactions are pretty easy to predict. I think you would be pretty happy about it. Don't speak for me, but yes, 100%. <laughs> I would be jumping for joy. <laughs> hey, I'm, just, I'm just saying, you, you asked me. <laughs> um, I don't know how I would feel. I already, when you first asked me this question, I believe yesterday, my mind immediately went to what does this mean for the Democratic Party? And so I would be thinking about what's the fallout from this? Mm-hmm. If there is a power vacuum, what does that look like? And what's the damage that it causes? And what does that mean for the midterms? And especially for the Senate races. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what does that mean for even Joe Biden's presidency in 2024? And I guess my main question that is hard to predict, even though I definitely lean towards chaos, um, is, is, is this potentially, is this potentially a bomb that explodes the Democratic Party for the next several years? Or is this Something that they get over actually kind of quickly and everything's fine and there's drama for a little bit, but people forget about it in a year. Do you think it's warranted, especially, uh, I mean, yes, this is a thought experiment. There's uh, there's elements of reality. Um, and I do think one to, to lean into here is this frustration that we're starting to see within the Democratic caucus around Chuck Schumer's seemingly aggressive plan to force this vote on the bipartisan infrastructure bill, potentially killing it in the water right now. Um, Why is he doing it, Terrell, to our viewers? I I wish I could give a good, I mean. I mean, I've seen the reason, one of the reasons in like news articles has been because he wants to get this really going before the August recess. But is that the only thing? Is there something we're not, we're missing here? I would, I think that's it. But I, and someone called attention to, he's running for um, election this midterm cycle. So for him, it is very critical that he spends more time at home. He is able to connect to the people. Granted, I don't think he's going to be challenged, although a lot of people have argued that maybe this is AOC's time to shine. So maybe that's even a better thought experiment of um, what if AOC challenges him in the primary and kind of pushes him out of the Senate. But those are those are kind of the reasons that um, I'm hearing. You, You know, I if Chuck Schumer thinks he needs to be home more or. I mean, honestly, he doesn't have a lot of bad press. And what I mean by that is the Senate passed some good stuff. I mean, 
you would argue that it's not really because of him or whatnot, but I mean, he doesn't have bad press yeah, at the moment and getting this done before that, I don't think really ch- changes that and before or after that. Yeah. And he's taking this out of the, um, uh, what's the, I forgot the bill title, the American, um, is it the jobs and family plan? No, or? the American exceptionalism act. The one, oh, that one competition. There we go. The American competition act, the one oh, against, yeah. um, the one that's kind of being portrayed as a, an attempt for America to, um, outdo China, if you will. Mm-hmm. So the current idea for him with the bipartisan, um, infrastructure bill is just like the that competitive bill it was done without the final wording being there there was just a verbal agreement between both parties or the ones involved that we would finalize language we would get there but here's how we're moving forward and what we're hearing a lot specific to the infrastructure piece is the republicans don't trust a lot of democratic colleagues right now and don't believe that if they were to make that formal agreement, things like climate change won't be pushed into the infrastructure bill, especially as the more progressive wing has become a little bolstered and saying, look at what's happening with the wildfires. Look at the damage that was caused in Germany. We need to have this in here. Um, but at the same time, Democrats are even saying like, where are you Schumer? If you, if you want to put in a timeline and granted, Democrats and Republicans are saying the same thing to Mitch McConnell. But if you want to put in these timelines, why aren't you in the same rooms as us having these conversations to really listen and understand where we are? And I think most shocking um, for our listeners, Kristen Sinema, who has kind of been leading some of these charges as well as the bipartisan gal, if you will, um, wasn't even informed that the vote was planned to happen this week. Um, Schumer's office says that they contacted a staffer and let the staffer know and essentially said it was the staffer's job to tell um, Kristen Cinema, not like colleague to colleague. So there, there are some implications that there are some there's some trouble in the water. Well, first off, I think another thing that would probably happen if Schumer did resign from majority leader, or basically because he was going to be ousted or whatnot. Um, that's kind of unprecedented, but I do believe that if that happened, then whether it's AOC or somebody else, a progressive would run against him for Senate. hundred percent, hundred percent would happen. But I also don't think that the, the infrastructure, the dynamics of that bipartisan deal are weird to me. Mm-hmm. And I don't think it's all Schumer's fault here, even though I don't understand his timeline antics. Um, Lindsey Graham, what came out the day after they announced the agreement? It's like, I didn't know that the white house was going to tether this extra money to it. I'm now on the fence. And then the White House had to backtrack even. Well, but that's what kind of confuses me about Democrats' strategy right now. Mm-hmm. Um, because it's, I don't know, with this kind of stuff, especially in this day and age, it's just kind of like, it's not over till it's over, right? Um, whether, I don't know, everyone was like, okay, we have the bipartisan infrastructure deal and it's going to get done. But that hasn't happened yet. And suddenly Democrats are announcing a over $3 trillion infrastructure bill to put on top of that. Through, 5, right? Yeah, through reconciliation without Republican support. Like, I don't understand that strategy. Which also might not make it through because um, Senator Manchin and Senator um, Cinema have already come out and said 
they need to read through the entirety of the bill before they even yeah. feel comfortable. It hasn't been written yet, so it'll, it'll yeah. take a while, which that's normal. But I guess my like confusion here is like, what incentive do the Republicans who wanted infrastructure do a bipartisan infrastructure bill have? What what incentive do they have if Democrats are just going to turn around and pass everything they've been negotiating away? If that makes sense. Yeah. So, I mean, like maybe there's an argument to be made for some people like wanting to show that, that the U S Senate still works, that they're still doing stuff for their constituents or whatnot. Um, I don't know. I just like, it seems to me that the democratic party could have done this kind of stuff with like, could have planned for some of this stuff without mm-hmm. announcing it publicly and yeah. being kind of secretive about it. And then once that bipartisan deal got done, you know, I, I guess I'm not a hundred percent understanding what the poli- why they made that decision to make that so public. Cause I, the dynamics of Republicans, what incentives do Republicans have here to pass something? And that that kind of goes to your timeline piece too, right? Of um, something that Schumer is is banking on is these Republicans are running in competitive states. Um, if they are on the record voting against infrastructure bill, an infrastructure bill that directly impacts their constituents, their state can do all of those things. That becomes an easy campaign ad, right? It's a gamble that. Uh, I mean, if we're being frank, the Democrats are going to more than likely lose the Senate. They're, they shouldn't have won it, if I'm being honest, to begin with. Um, well, I don't know about that. Georgia was a shock to everyone, and it's it was a shock. It was a shock, but I think it, it was a shock. <laughs> well, I think it was a shock because a lot of people didn't listen to Stacey Abrams. I would say it was a shock because not because of Stacey Abrams, but genuinely because the people who turned out in Georgia were not the people who traditionally turned out. Like, I think a great example of why I feel so confident saying that the Democrats shouldn't have won the Senate is um, had Ozoff not managed to um, force a runoff, he we wouldn't be in this situation, right? And you can look no further than the neighboring state of South Carolina, where it should have been a competitive race, and Lindsey Graham won hands down. So that's where I get this sense that, yes, so happy Schumer has this small majority right now that he's doing his thing with. Well, the best thing that Schumer did, I would argue, going back to Stacey Abrams, is listen to Stacey Abrams because he wanted Stacey Abrams to run. And she said, no, these are better candidates and we're going to win. And she said, she was saying from the very beginning, Georgia is a battleground state and we are going to win in it. Mm-hmm. And even the guys at Pod Save America who are pretty, I'd say, in tune to different swing states and voting and whatnot, they have their own uh, kind of organization, Vote Save America, that deals with all this stuff, yeah. did not take her seriously. I mean, same. <laughs> Nobody I had did. my moments where nope. I was like, eh, like it'll I, be as competitive as it always she, has been. Yeah. And, and I don't know if we can blame anyone. I mean, it's, it's a cynical world out there and things that feel like should happen. Don't in the world of politics for, for all of us, but I don't know. Like that was probably one of the best decisions to made for Georgia. <laughs> but at the same time, like I, if Schumer actually was ousted, 
which I'm not convinced will actually happen. Yeah. Are you? No. Do you think he would be? No. Why? There's, granted, the Senate has fallen far from where it used to be, but there is a sense of respect and, and politeness in the Senate where even if your caucus is that frustrated with you, there's no way that the leadership doesn't know. Maybe he doesn't, but members of his leadership team do, like an Elizabeth Warren, maybe, who I, I would argue should be the next leader. Do you think she would be if Schumer was gone? I think it would be, I think what would be interesting is it would not be a white male who would be the next leader of the Democratic Party in the Senate. That narrows it down. Um, <laughs> a lot. Um, I do think that an uh, Amy Klobuchar, who has led a lot of these conversations, is yeah, strongly in contention. And I think an Elizabeth Warren, who seems to lean into where the White House is coming from around um, economic competition, around jobs, around um uh, combating corruption things of that nature i think both of them would be strong candidates for different reasons klobuchar mm-hmm. because of her connection to the senate and elizabeth warren because her under i feel like she has a better understanding of what the white house wants and where it's going and while they might not outright say who the next person is i think they would prefer someone of that stature but she would know that this is coming and I don't see Elizabeth Warren or Amy Klobuchar for that matter, or Pat Toomey um, or even Manchin because obviously Schumer saved his butt a few times. I don't see them being the type to help stage a coup and not tell him or give him a heads up of there are some real genuine tension within the caucus that is frustrated. Very similar to Newt Gingrich. You should probably consider stepping down. I mean, I know what Schumer's trying to do. Schumer's trying to force votes so we can all go, hey, look at all these Republicans who don't support all these things. But honestly, like, unless you can wrap that up in a really good message that is easily repetitive in multiple different areas. Which the Democrats have never been good at. (laughs) Never been good at it. And unless something's changed, I, I don't know. Like, like, great. Schumer's just showing us what we already know. And, and maybe, maybe, maybe there's a couple heads around the country that turn, but I'm talking about a couple out of like the thousands that we need to vote for us. Yeah. I will say something that I think we we've left out of this piece. We're very focused on the institution, right? Mm-hmm. But when you think about nationally, I do think this is the energizer that the democratic party needs. Well, I might not think that it really, I'm well, not so convinced that this would prove to be an energizer. I, I think when you get to the roots of the democratic party, very similar to what you were just mentioning about with um, Stacey Abrams, a lot of people are frustrated with the fact that you have the house, you have the Senate, you have the white house, and not getting stuff done and nothing is happening. There's no, there's no push to do X and Y. And well, wait a second, how much of that is Schumer versus the 60 vote threshold well and and that's my my piece of i think from a leadership perspective and i think nancy pelosi is also a good mirror here um again we've talked about this a few times nancy pelosi isn't even supposed to be speaker right now she made a verbal commitment (laughs) with the progressive wing that she would not run for speaker a second time and they elected her like that she's granted she has some issues she's oddly behind some of the strategy in the Senate if oh, one has been paying attention to the news because it's not like like the front of the story but she's like 
She's there. She's been in Mansion's ear about some things, and like she's there. Like, yeah, I think people like a lot of people go, "Oh, Nancy Pelosi so out of touch and whatnot." Nancy mm-hmm. Pelosi gets shit done, and that's and we don't the piece. hear about it. And that's the piece. I think when you juxtapose Schumer and Pelosi, we can say that Nancy Pelosi has done some things. She got the For the People's Act passed through the House without really any issue knowing that the Republican Party was going to go by and large against her, mm-hmm. she was able to whip all of her votes on the Democratic caucus to get what she needed done. And she's historically done that. When you look get to the Senate, I feel like a lot of people look at Schumer and just see his inability to control the caucus, him allowing multiple other senators to dictate what happens because he lacks that ability to lead. And while he might be a strong campaigning arm, he just doesn't seem to work in the institution. And that's where I think from a national perspective, some people might actually look at this and say, the Democrats are like, I might not agree with what they what they did, but they're finally doing something. They're finally understanding that this is a moment that we can't afford to keep losing. Well, I mean, I think all of us know that it's a moment we can't afford to keep losing. I don't know if, okay. I... What you just said about Schumer having an inability to lead and it's messy and chaotic, I'm not sure how much of that is intentional. Hmm. He told us that he was going to lead like this at the very beginning. Yeah, and that's why I didn't like him to start. <laughs> <laughs> You're saying this like, oh, we should have seen it like, well, but, but I've been saying Schumer shouldn't have been leader what since I can... before Joe Biden even announced his candidacy. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what what I think that maybe some viewers would be asking right now is, well, wait a second. Why are you blaming Schumer for this moment that we can't afford to lose? Shouldn't we be looking at uh, mansion or cinema or whoever else is hiding behind them to to blame it on them if we're looking to play a blame game. Like, why aren't we looking at them in this conversation? I mean, because, we are. You know, especially uh, those of us who, I don't know if I, I'm fully, fully on board, but those of us in part of this little community um, <laughs> that are dangerously likely to get rid of the filibuster. Why Why is this all Schumer's fault? Why isn't this maybe some of the moderates that have been holding things up? Because the moderates, I would argue, haven't been holding things up. And I know that's going to sound very... Controversial. I was going to say that's going to sound very hot take, right? Hashtag get canceled. But <laughs> Manchin came forward and listed exactly what he needed from the for the People's Act for him to be on board. They weren't anything egregious. They weren't They weren't wild overtures that people couldn't buy into where I think that bill specifically failed was he then became that point person because here are the list of things that he wanted. And he had to just float it to his Republican colleagues, hoping that they would bite because Schumer had already set up the vote and the ball was rolling faster than uh, a mansion ever could. I think from, (laughs) I think from a cinema lens, She's also been very open and honest of she's for Medicaid expansion. She's for doing a lot of those progressive things Mm -hmm. where her hesitation comes in is she doesn't want the one party to dominate the narrative. And that's where her and I agree. So, yes, I, I, I get and understand why we want to focus on them. But again, I come back to that piece on leadership, right, of what if the For the People's Act wasn't slated to be voted on as fast as it was? What if Schumer 
did his due diligence, worked with Mitch McConnell to say, here are the the more here place where we're willing to compromise, specifically because Manchin has told us these are places where we're willing to compromise. We know Mitch McConnell probably wouldn't. I'm pretty sure he stated right off the fact that right off the bat that yeah. he wasn't going to support anything. But it's the point of opening up that door, right? So now you have the leaders having their conversation, and then you have all the backdoor stuff happening. It's not Mansions in the front view where we knew every meeting Mansion had that week. He met with um, in, uh, the NAACP. He met with um, grassroots, like. All of this pressure got put on this one senator who was like, I'm trying to give you a compromise. I don't have time to now meet with my Republican colleagues and say this and this, because every step I take is a signal of one way or the other. That's where I would argue uh, uh, Schumer has failed as a Senate leader. I also want to like highlight something that I actually am kind of convinced of. Um, do you remember around that same period of time when Manchin kind of came out and said, I don't support the For the People Act? Mm-hmm. And then Pelosi had Pelosi like a literally whispered said, in his ear. <laughs> Pelosi said something like, just wait, or something like that. Like literally in like a press conference, or I don't remember what it was. And then Manchin, like a few days later, came out with his own plan that mm-hmm. wasn't a bad plan. So I. And I again that well, that's my, leadership, but, but right? My, but my question, my question in all of this is how much do we not know? Fair. Was Chuck Schumer part of that thing that No, I can say that. I do know that much. He was not a part of the thing that pushed Manchin over. N- it was literally involved. Amy Klobuchar, and that is a well known well, fact that but was he not Amy part, and- did he not know what was going on? I'm sure he did, but his Maybe like, it was him pulling the strings in the background. Amy Klobuchar wants it was Amy Klobuchar and Kristen Cinema. It was Amy Klobuchar and Kristen Chris Amy Klobuchar <laughs> and Kristen Cinema who were pulling those strings. And I mean Senator Cinema has been dubbed the Mansion Whisperer. I don't know if you recall this, but um <laughs> during the COVID relief bill, Mansion held that process up and blindsided Cinema who has become like his counterpart, his, his other half. Um, and there were a couple really interesting articles that came out during that time that not only was she blindsided, but she was frustrated that there was no coordination between the two of them. And I don't know if you recall this, but shortly after that came out, the bill all of a sudden had the votes and was ready to go because Manchin recognized in that space that he had lost his one other support that was keeping him there. So again, I think, I think there's a leadership component here that is, is missing in Chuck Schumer. I, I will not doubt that his campaigning arm is phenomenal. Granted, I think a lot of people would argue this last election would say otherwise because of how badly the Senate lost when there was supposed to be a chance that there would be 55 Democratic senators and we ended up with 50. But he recruited some amazing people and okay. now they lead in the Democratic Party from an organizational standpoint, which I do think matters. But when oh, it comes to legislative processes, I think he's an instrument of the past. Interesting. Interesting. What do you do you think that the Senate's an instrument of the past? Absolutely not. You already know how I see <laughs> how I feel about that. <laughs> Something that bothers me, especially about the For the People Act. I was reading this article 
or maybe I was listening to a podcast. I can't remember which one it was. Um, I actually want to say I was listening to Dan Pfeiffer talk, uh, who used to be a communications mm-hmm. arm for the Obama campaign. And, Love Dan Pfeiffer. Oh, he's great. Um, and he was talking about how convincing Manchin to vote for the For the People Act. And maybe even take it as far as get rid of the filibuster is like the third, fourth, fifth step in the process of, of getting that bill done. And I'm still not convinced we've done like the first major steps of it, which is like gain urgency and energy behind it. Or just get a new. (laughs) (laughs) No, I agree. I agree. Well, I, I don't know. It just, it feels like it, like, look, look, there's been a lot of other things that have happened and that's fantastic um, that Biden and Schumer and Pelosi have been able to get done. Mm-hmm. But the, for the people act, the strategy around it has felt rushed, chaotic yes. Yes. and not coherent. Yes. And now we're sitting here and it's not, it's not dead. We can bring it back to the floor, but there's nothing, there's no momentum behind it. We got to get that momentum if we want to get that thing passed. And it just feels like we never even tried to do that. Hmm. And I don't know if that's a hundred percent a Schumer thing. I think that's an everybody thing in the party, but that's where my thoughts are. (laughs) So what I'm gathering is you would not support the removal of Chuck Schumer as much as I do. I, well, okay, look, or maybe just not in that. Here's I'll ask a duo question. Would you support it? Or would you be happy if there was a different leader just if it didn't happen in that way? You know, I don't know if I'm as convinced that another leader would be able to get as much or more done than Schumer at the moment. And I maybe that's a little bit naive of me to say. Hmm. I know you're very convinced that Schumer is not great. I Convinced, have proven facts take it as you will. (laughs) I think that my main fear with all of this would be, what does this mean for the democratic party? And I don't know. It just seems like it couldn't be good. So I think that if it did happen and we got somebody better and there was minimal damage to the party and we won the next election. Great. Fantastic. I'm not convinced that would happen if Schumer was ousted right now. Mm-hmm. So I'm a little nervous to say that I would want him gone. Fair. And it, granted, I'm biased here. Like uh, I've been very transparent in my disdain for him. Um, disdain is a strong word. That was a very aggressive word. I take that back. Yeah, I've been wow. I've been very transparent about my um, dissatisfaction with him. I oh, absolutely. I mean, since like what last December at least before that. Over. Um, I mean, I, I, I look at Henry Reid when he was Senate Majority Leader. You mean Harry? (laughs) Yes, Harry (laughs) Reid. I look at Harry Reid when he was, um, Senate Majority Leader and he had his flaws, don't get me wrong, but he's also the reason we have Barack Obama single-handedly. He... He recognized the moment he recognized where the party was and he did the things that were necessary. And even as he was fighting with uh, brain cancer, he got what he needed to done and then 
I do blame him for this. And I, this is probably the one notch that I give him in his legacy. He picked Chuck Schumer to be his replacement. <laughs> so while this thought experiment is fun, I do, I do think there are enough people to call to that have shown how to do the job well. And I just don't think Schumer has ever met that standard. We'll be right back. All right, Caleb, take us on a tangent. Okay, Terrell. So much excitement. So as you've probably heard, you know, we had a couple billionaires go to space over the last couple of weeks. And a lot of people are like, whoa, billionaires shouldn't be able to go to space. And that's wrong. And billionaires shouldn't exist and all that stuff. And first of all, I want to ask you a question. Oh, God. I know this is a, a questionable tangent. <laughs> not nervous. Are billionaires going to space good or bad? Bad. Are billionaires in general bad? Eh, no. Trillionaires, yes. Billionaires, no. There's no trillionaires. I mean, yet. we're getting way <laughs> closer than we ever should. I I very much am of the mind, like, in untethered capitalism billionaires are going to exist i don't think that they're the problem like the the system allowing it to happen is a problem Hmm. but they did the work i get why they got there and because there's no regulation and no bounds of course they're going to keep making money so for me billionaires are not inherently the problem do i think them going to space is a problem yes because look at how much they've already ruined the country and just look at Look at the fact that we are the closest to the French Revolution than we've ever been of this just class system and elitist elitism. Um, and now you have people, as we literally, you commented on me walking in today with a mask because the smoke is so bad. Um, as we literally struggle to live on the one planet that can house us, you have billionaires like um, Bezos paying however much he did just to fly up to space for fun. So. Yeah, no, I, okay. Well, um, of the three billionaires that have been in space, which one do you think is the worst? I just named him. (laughs) Bezos. hundred percent. Not Branson or Musk or Musk hasn't been to space. He hasn't. I mean, he has his space company though. I mean, they're, they're bad in different ways. I think, for me, Bezos is the worst because he knew where he was going. There was a certain part where he recognized that Amazon could have, could go one of two ways. It could go the eBay way and just become this marketplace, and that's where it stayed, and he never would be where he is today. Or he could start buying up everything that could even be considered competition and make it into what I would argue is its own country at this point. And then had the nerve to give an award to Van Jones today for his civility. Like, fuck you. You're trash. Oh, yeah. I, and he hands down is one of the worst people. He also said that he also thanked all the Amazon employees and customers for uh, helping him pay for it. And I was like, how out of touch can you be? Yeah. So remember <laughs> how, like, the worst after making them work through COVID because we, I mean, we needed shipping. That was important but he gave them no real good protections. Multiple uh, Amazon warehouses 
had extensive COVID outbreaks and there was nothing that they could do. Half the time they couldn't even take off work because they were worried they might get fired. Like, fuck him (laughs) in so many ways. His wife did the right thing by getting a divorce and coming on me like, he was an awful human. I'm glad I got half of everything. And here's how I'm going to go to try to like save the world finally. (laughs) I'm going to go to space. So yeah, fuck (laughs) (laughs) Look, I agree with you to an extent about it being a bad thing that billionaires are going to space. To an extent. To an extent. And I'll tell you why. I do think that in terms of space exploration research and all that, it really should be NASA's job. Mm -hmm. And I actually am not, I don't really know if I involve Elon Musk in this conversation as much because even though he owns SpaceX, SpaceX works with NASA to do a lot of that stuff. Yeah. And I think that there is a thing to be said about going to space, not just to go to space, but to like further humanity mm-hmm. and explore. Like there's a lot of answers that we could probably find in the cosmos and furthering that I think is a good thing. I I agree with you to an extent that Bezos and Branson going to space um, might be a bad thing. And I'll tell you kind of what my thinking is here. My thinking is if you're going to go to space to kind of just like do it for fun, do a it weekend for fun, trip, have a good time. It's like driving up to Court Lane. Right. Yeah. Like if you're going to do that, like I don't really know what the point is, but what I will say is that if you're doing that because it's going to help us, as a collective in the future, have the technology to go to space and further advance humanity and whatnot, then as a space nerd myself, I'll be honest, I'm kind of for it. Hmm. Look, I don't know if billionaires should be able to have that kind of power, honestly. But again, like you said, they just took advantage of a system that doesn't work. Until they start buying up real estate up there and then poor lonely (laughs) us. It'll probably be some kind of like international waters rule up there, but one of them's going to own the player on the moon at some point in time. Let's be real. Look, I don't think that they should go and build space stations up there. That's a NASA job for sure. Like, I don't think there should be private company space companies that are like doing their own research and they're not telling the world what they find. Like, I don't think that's how space should work. And I think we got to be careful how we do it. And I think NASA probably needs a lot more funding, but, 100%. um, but I'm not at this moment in time, I haven't completely made up my mind. I mostly agree with you, but I do think that um, the future in space is being accelerated because of this stuff. And I think that is right now, right now, a good thing at the end of the day. I also think I would have been happier if like Ashton Ashton Kutcher um, was going to buy one, buy a ticket to be on the... (laughs) ship and Mila Kunis literally told him no one out of like fear but two she was just like why like what's what's the purpose and I think for billionaires who went that's my main question like what is the purpose like why did you really go did you go because it was going to be a cool postcard and you'd be like I went to space or did you go because of what you mentioned of this is an opportunity to understand and and relate to uh, um an astronaut and understand what it means to go to this new frontier to quote um, Kennedy, then, okay, maybe I have a different perspective because you are looking at this from a very educated and, and mindful space that could be useful. 
But from everything I've noticed, especially because Bezos decided to have a stupid fucking award ceremony before getting on the flight, it was just a cool thing that he could do. Actually, I know for a fact that's what he thought because he got quoted in a newspaper saying it was a cool thing I could do. Like in that situation, (laughs) just fuck yourself. No, and I do agree with that. I do agree with that. But I think that my long-term view and hope, of course, this isn't true today yet, maybe, um, is that is that different different private companies with a lot of money backing will just start to develop spacecraft and whatnot that is good for humanity at the end of the day in some way. Maybe maybe it's spacecraft that it's just new technology. You know, you get better and better. We can go farther. We can understand the universe more and understand ourselves in the process of that and maybe find other places that are habitable and, and just understand our universe. I don't know. Big space guy over here. I have yes. one last question, though, for you. This is a real tangent. Before I'm done with this tangent. <laughs> and that question is, if you had the chance to just go into space, would you or would you not? Selfishly, yes. Unselfishly, no. That's a pretty good answer. I would probably take the chance, for sure. Yeah. You know, like... like don't blame me if I get super wealthy one day and yeah. space rocket and go up there. Just Hopefully it's fun. cheaper by that point. <laughs> Enough people have been up there. There's like a taxi. Hopefully it's that, more climate friendly too. I was going to say, it's just a taxi that you have to catch. It's like, oh yeah, we'll take you to Mars. Yeah. No, I, Jefferson, um, Jackson's. I, uh, uh, Jetsons. I don't know. I think I would take, I would take the chance. I think I would do it. Yeah. I mean, Selfishly, yes, it it would be a cool experience. I would enjoy it X, Y, and Z. Unselfishly, the reason I I do separate those two out is one, there's individuals like you who would have far more enjoyment of it. So if I was able to be like, "Eh, I can't go, but I'll give it to Caleb, I would do that. So congrats. But also, I'm not going up there and learning anything, right? Like I'm going up, I'm seeing some stuff, I'm coming back. It's great, but if there's someone who can go up there and learn and and be the person who figures out how to get that travel to be more frequent or something, I'd much rather them do it. I'll catch the like 800th trip up there of like, oh, the world's about to implode. I guess I'll jump on this one. <laughs> my my hopeful brain is, tells me that at the end of the day, I think it's a good thing if space becomes more accessible to the masses, and I. I would take the chance and it's hard for me to like, even if I'm not sure if I'm a huge fan that billionaires are currently going into space just for funsies and it costs a million dollars or way more than a million dollars to go with them or whatnot. Uh, Hopefully that would be more accessible in the future. But um, I can't help but think that, that some of them probably thought, wow, like I'm taking this chance and they go up there and are just blown away. I don't know. That's how I think about it. Anyways, Terrell, why don't you take us on a tangent? Um, honestly, yeah, I do have a good tangent. Uh, uh, is it sports related? No, although who's going to win? Although I am glad that we're wrapping up the spot soon because the Bucks on game just mm. started. Um, and honestly, it's probably going to be the Bucks, and I'm not super excited about that. But it is what it is. Mm. I just, I think Devin Booker has taken a team and completely turned it on its head and 
Chris Paul has demonstrated that he he has always been that playmaker. He just needed the right instruments so those plays could happen. So like for me, I very much appreciate and would enjoy if Booker and Paul won. But I'm also happy if yeah, the Suns. Um, but I'm also happy if Giannis gets it. And I'm I think I think Giannis's year would have been 2020 had COVID not happened. And because of that, it threw off his workout um, regimen, his schedules, and you saw it in the bubble that the Bucks should not have struggled as much as they did. Um, so yeah. I'm semi happy either way. I would prefer one outcome, but I don't know. I would also be very happy if the Suns won today and it went into game seven just because I would get an extra game out of it. But who knows? <laughs> Um, no, my attention is, is centered on the lovely Lone Star State. Um, oh, God. Because, like, I'm swearing again, so enjoy that little E rating. But, like, fuck Abbott. Uh, in oh, all Abbott honesty, <laughs> not even that, like, genuine. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know if everyone um, saw the news, but... The the state of Texas is making some adoptions to their educational standards, specifically reframing um, how individuals learn about Martin Luther King and reframing how people learn about the Ku Klux Klan, Reconstruction, everything post-slavery. So if it wasn't bad enough that we moved into calling slaves and indentured servants we're now moving into the the post-civil war area and trying to reframe what racism looked like and for a dumb as fuck governor who went on a tirade about critical race theory and how our students are being taught to hate america to essentially tell every brown boy and girl that your grandparents your great-grandparents who witnessed segregation just overhyped it it wasn't that bad and this is also very personal to me my mom was born in the 1960s my dad was born in the 1950s my grandmother was uh, born in the 1920s and my great-grandparents were slaves um well children of children of slaves but slaves while they were children anyway yeah it's just bullshit, right? Like there's a a real true frustration with the fact that we have allowed the modern Republican Party to wear white hoods in public and not say a damn thing about it and then be called out for it. I've had multiple times where I've been told that I'm a sheep or I'm brainwashed or or this and that because I'm comfortable saying these pieces. And that's not to say that you can't work with the other party, but there has to be some sense of accountability and some sense of ownership that they are actively trying to educate and teach the future generations that the experiences of my ancestors were not as bad as we were taught and essentially try to make it seem like the civil war was a misunderstanding that just happened and it shouldn't have been that serious, but the North was angry. Blah. Like, 
for a country to be so eager to enter this post-race world, we have continuously taken steps back to mm-hmm. recognize that it wasn't until 1962. No, 1958, 1958, 1962. Sorry. This is one of my favorite cases too. So I should look this up. Um, that African-Americans were allowed to marry outside of their race. Mm-hmm. Um, my mother, uh, experienced segregation she was alive during that that point in time granted she was young and doesn't remember it well um my grandmother was one of the first african-americans to work at a hudson's in michigan my my mom always talks about seeing um jfk be assassinated which for all intents and purposes for people who don't connect the dots meant if she was of age if she was 18 she wouldn't have even been able to vote in this country. So I have a lot of personal frustrations with this because I'm so directly connected to it, but it's, it's really truly this anger for me that this class of no offense to you, Caleb, but this class of white Americans are just willing to (laughs) make excuses for the past and try to, use their fragility to essentially excuse them from being racist today. Um, I shared this in a Instagram post about um, white women tears and, and the issues that it can cause. But um, back in November of 2020, somewhere in that range, a friend and I went to Sun Valley, which is a little resort town out in Idaho. And, um, Got in, went to a brewery, had a couple drinks, um, walked to our Airbnb, got in to get ready because we had a reservation for dinner. And partway through, um, started hearing knocks on the door. I looked at my friend. I was like, Did you, do we know people here? Did you invite someone? And they said no. So we ignored it. Knocks continued. And I um, got up and checked the door because it was frustrating and I was annoyed, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and this lovely white woman, I didn't open the door wide cause I grew up in Detroit. So I'm smarter than that if I'm being transparent. Um, but this, this white woman goes, hi, I'm, I'm the person next door. I just wanted to introduce myself. And we had a whole conversation. Um, and then all of a sudden she became very adamant that she had to see my friend who was a female. Um, and I literally was like, well, I don't know who you are, so I'm not letting you in, but I'll ask my friend if they feel comfortable coming to the door and speaking to you and um, yelled out to my friend. My friend was like, I don't know who the fuck it is. I don't want to deal with that. Like, okay, (laughs) cool. And told her politely, my friend doesn't want to talk to you. So that's it. Um, At this point, the woman rams into the door and tries to push it. Granted, I have more muscle than it looks like I do. Um, so she didn't knock me over or anything and didn't even move the door and, and was very adamant that she had to see my friend. It's like, I'm sorry, ma'am. She doesn't feel comfortable seeing you. I have no reason to let you in. And I closed the door. And as I was closing the door, she yelled, she was calling the cops. Um, and in doing so later, I find the cops do show up at a point in the story, but I find out um, through conversation with them that she told the cops that I had, um, domestically assaulted my friend 
that I threatened her with a gun um, and told her that I was a off-duty cop. So if she even tried, nothing would happen. Cops came three deep, detained me technically is the best word I can use, like had me sitting on the couch, asking me questions, checking my friend to see if they had been assaulted, all of these pieces. Um, And the one piece I'll never forget is the cop made reference to kind of in the shuffle of like going to answer the door for them. Um, I had knocked over the TV remote and it fell on the floor and the cop made a, a specific remark of, well, we have to do our due diligence. I noticed when I walked in that the TV remote was on the, the ground. So we really wanted to make sure that none of these things were um, substantiated. They checked my bag. They did all the things. Right. So it, it's that type of thing of we're not in a post-race world. Had I been white, I really genuinely don't think I would have had to deal with half the shit I did. I don't think the woman would have called the cops if I'm being completely honest. Um, ironically, the other neighbor got arrested for being like, he was tripping out on some drugs and like tried to tackle one of the cops. So that was like a fun story to add into it. (laughs) It was a weird night. That's very strange. Um, and for all those individuals here who have friends of color who don't understand what trauma response is the entire time, the only thing I said to the cops were, I understand I didn't do anything. And how much longer is it going to take? Because we have dinner reservations at seven. Like that's how we shelter off from this experience in this world and, and the way that we're treated. So hearing the things of Texas just brings a lot of anger out of me um, as my voice trails off. Um, and just a genuine frustration that we can't even agree on the basics of education now when it comes to um race and in America because there are a group of white people who just feel uncomfortable talking about it. And that's my tangent. Yeah. And the Texas stuff too, the, the education kind of the whitewashing of education, really. Mm -hmm. Um, It's not like our education really focused on those parts of our history that much anyways, but not talking about it at all like directly to me, it directly relates to this stuff happening too. education is important and we're not going to get anywhere as a country if we're just going to continue to downplay it until it's wiped out of the history books. Mm -hmm. I agree. Well, that's our show. (laughs) I'm Caleb. I'm Terrell. And we're dangerously likely to see you next week. (laughs) 